0: And so when Bettina said this morning, she felt like the Lord was saying it's a new era. There's something on that. There's something that's being passed. And it's not just about him and me. It's about the timing of something and the ending of an era and the beginning of a new one. And uh, so I'm looking forward to 2022 being the beginning, really the beginning of a new era the church and we'll see how that plays out I don't know what that's going to look like but I feel like it's all about Jesus it's all about kingdom and it's not about surviving a wilderness journey but it's about possessing the land and I don't know about you but I want to see Jesus receive his inheritance and his inheritance is nation's Amen. And we can't really possess nations if we're not if we're not able to um, to steward what He brings us within the house first. And that is, we've got to build an altar uh, for the for the presence of God to inhabit all the time. And uh, you know that became so real to me in 2020s that there was there was a flame of God that we could not allow to go out. It has to stay burning. You know that's something the church has operated in the outer court for so long that that's become kind of a a lost concept of the flame of God that burns in the house of God, and you see uh, you see that in Revelation one where Jesus is walking among the seven lamps of the lampstand, uh, the seven lamps uh, on the on the candelabra or the lampstand. So it's not just an Old Testament concept, it's a picture of something in the new. And Jesus, as our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek, doesn't walk among a physical lampstand and pouring in oil and trimming wicks, but he walks among a living church. That he pours oil into and he's trimming the wicks and he's causing uh, the fire of God to burn brightly within his people. And it says that his, uh, his servants, or his messengers are called flames of fire. And this year I believe we're going to begin to experience that at a new level. That the Lord is going to be igniting the fire of God in our hearts. And pouring in fresh oil and bringing fresh revelation and fresh life and fresh vision and pre- fresh perspective. And, and and some of the stuff that we've held on to from the past was going to make really good fuel for that. Amen? Maybe we need some more bonfires in, in the church these days. You know, like they had in the book of Acts. Maybe it's time that we begin to experience allowing the Lord to burn up some things of the past so that we can move into a new place with the Lord. Uh, Into a new realm of the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in the church again. Jesus being the central thing. Amen? In Luke chapter 5, verse 36, it says Jesus spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new for he says the old is better. So often this concept of new wineskins, is taught as the difference between Old and New Covenant, and it certainly applies. It certainly relates to that. But when we examine church history, it's pretty clear that it also applies from one move of restoration to Another. Often in the restoration moves of the church, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit would become the declared enemy of those who have experienced the former move. You know, in, in the early 1500s, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door of the cathedral at Wittenberg and started a revolution that has been continuing until this day. And Martin Luther was not a perfect man. He was a Catholic priest when he did that. He was uh, anti-Semitic. He had an agenda against the Jewish people. And very shortly after that, the whole Anabaptist movement began, and he was the enemy of the Anabaptists. In fact, he was having one starve to death in the the tower of the very... uh, Mansion where he was writing a mighty fortress is our God. How can that be? But every one of those reformers had a, had an incomplete revelation, but they had a piece of something that God wanted to restore in the church, and their revolu- their the, the revolution that they began would shake the church. You know, and none of them were perfect till till this day. None of them were perfect. But you know what? I honor every one of them for what God used them to restore. And I value the revelation that they brought to the table. And they weren't perfect and they weren't complete. But they all brought something that enables us to have a fresh understanding of something that God wants to build into his house. Restored. And then we have to go through a time of shaking it down, sorting it out, you know, because there's other things that creep in with it. And so that has to be cleansed and shaken down so that it's a solid foundation for us to build on again. But I will honor every one of them for what they restored. And I believe heaven will honor them as well. The truths that God highlighted and restored as light and life to a powerful generational move of restoration in the church would become a monument that could not be built on for fear of dishonoring the fathers. And so, typically, every generational move, as strong, powerful, and full of fire as it would be, would become the enemy of the next because we cannot touch the monument that we built to the move that we were a part of. In my opinion, the greater dishonor would be to stay stuck in the former truth and not recognize that it needs to be built on top of. I think whatever God uses us for in our generation the greater dishonor would be if our children would stay stuck in that move 50 years after we're gone instead of building on top of what God restored in our generation. 2 Peter 1.12 says, For this reason I will not, not be negligent to remind you always of these things though you know and are established in the present truth. So there's a present truth that God is highlighting in every generation which is this is what I'm emphasizing, this is what I'm restoring because this truth has been lost in, in, the, in the generational decline of the church into the dark ages and, and is now being restored by the Holy Spirit and it can't be restored through knowledge only. It's not just through intellectual knowledge that we understand because you're all, all that are not... If it's, if it's knowledge only, it's a dead stone. And God builds with living stones. Living stones that are made alive by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That become, a part of an, a, a, that become an eternal truth that are part of the building that God is establishing and building that is eternal. And not just something related to time. Only the revelation of God is what makes it the living stone instead of a dead stone. Amen. So you can't just study everything that's happened in the past and intellectually agree with all of those things and have a living foundation. It has to be brought alive by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? There's a truth that heaven is highlighting with Revelation. And as we transition more and more from old wineskin models to new wineskin models for a new generation of truth seekers and spiritual warriors... It wouldn't be wise to equip a generation of today's warriors with the best swords, spears, and bows to go up against tanks, bazookas, and smart bombs. Swords, spears, and bows worked very well in their generations, but they can't go up against the modern weaponry. And that's just a picture that I want to give you of why it's relevant and why it's important that we allow the Lord to establish us in what the Holy Spirit is revealing today, and not just what he revealed formerly. We need to honor what was revealed in the past, but we need to have a current, relevant revelation from the Holy Spirit speaking to the body of Christ today. So there's a present truth that doesn't contradict the former truth, but rather builds on top of. So the building of the Lord's house can continue to become a holy habitation of his presence. So in in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, Now this is the main point of the things that we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle for he said see that you make and this is this is the lord the lord said make sure make see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain make everything according to the pattern what's our pattern our pattern is jesus it's not a former model of how what church looked like in the past generation It's not even the Book of Acts church. It's Jesus himself is our model. And because the Book of Acts church had only had Jesus for their model, they were the most powerful church that we still refer to. Verse 6 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he's also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on Better Promises. So what does that look like? I think we're going to be exploring that for some time to come, what that looks like. I've, I've got it in my heart to actually do a new wineskin uh, conference this year. I'm already in a conversation with somebody that I think should be here to be a part of that. Because I think this is something that we need to allow the Lord to unravel for us so we understand the difference between the new wineskin that God's calling us to build that will contain the new wine that he's wanting to pour out. It's a big deal. So I've got several things that I see that we're needing to transition from and to, and I think there'll be more. The First one is from a business to a kingdom model. When churches grow and want to organize more effectively, they've typically reached for business models. In my opinion, that has not served the church well. Because the church is not primarily an organizational structure. It's a relational structure. It needs to be the other way around. Business should actually be getting its inspiration from the church. Because the church, in my opinion should be the incubator for all of culture. So the models, to me, that are birthed in the church should inspire every other sphere of culture, including the business world. Number two, we should be transitioning from a hierarchical leadership model to a servant leader model. That's going to be a real shocker for the church. In Matthew 20, verse 24, it says, When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. You know, the two brothers who wanted to get on either side of Jesus. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave or your bondservant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, I've, we've been we've been hearing for some time of an apostolic revolution coming to the church, and I believe it's upon us. But it's not going to be people carrying big sticks, exercising great power and dominion over the church. It's going to be apostolic leaders who are willing to lay down their life to serve the way that the early church apostles did. And because of that, God's going to invest great authority with them. When we want to become powerful leaders, we teach them leadership principles, right? How to exercise authority well. Not just in the business world, in the church, when Jesus wanted to raise up powerful leaders, he taught about becoming great servants. Are we willing to lay down our life to serve well? Because that's where God's going to invest authority. Number three, we're, we're going to be transitioning from a principle-driven... Or formulate to a spirit-led or grace model that continues to release life, you know we we had a conference here last summer, and uh, about apostolic and prophetic convergence that we helped to host, and at the end of the conference, I was asked to kind of summarize and close and. And knowing me, I would have to throw a wrench in things, right? I didn't plan to throw a wrench in it, but, you know, that's just kind of what happened. And so I read Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, where it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. We were talking about hierarchical structure and what it should look like in the church. And I said, you know, I grew up in a culture where as far as our everyday life, you didn't see much of a hierarchy. When, when, when we had a major project going on, like a barn raising, it would be hard for a casual observer to identify who was in charge. Because something in our culture taught us to kind of inherently know our role. And not to have to be told everything in order to do something. Something but to know where our giftings and where we functioned well and all of that. And we inherently and kind of instinctively did what we needed to do in order for the whole team to work together well. And that's something that's almost, it seems like a lost art in the broader culture. And I I said, it seems to me that that's only a, dim picture in the natural of something that the Holy Spirit would love to have in the body of Christ. It seems to me that if the Holy Spirit is filling every part of the body that it should be a whole lot easier for us to all find our place and to all know where we function well and what causes us to come alive and what causes our giftings to go to work and to really be able to powerfully work together to produce what God wants to produce through the body. So it seems to me that the Holy Spirit has been deprived of much of his rightful place in the church. That we have reduced him... To a manifestation or a demonstration of power, but we've pretty much deprived him of his day-to-day role in ordering the body and bringing us together to where we function and function well together, to where we don't live our life with attitudes against each other and competitions against each other and jockeying for roles where we don't do any of that because the Holy Spirit is ordering us together into a body. When that happens, the life of the head will be administered into, throughout the body by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the life of the Spirit that flows and the order of the Spirit that flows from the head to every member. What would that look like? Instead, we've installed five-fold ministries as hierarchical, top-down versions of the same models used by the world, by business, and by government. The real strength of our Anabaptist community, our culture, is community, but community that is lived out instinctively, everyone inherently gravitating to where their strengths are. Wouldn't it be something if we allowed the Holy Spirit to transition that to the body of Christ? I believe it's a natural presentation or representation of something the Holy Spirit wants to empower the church with at a whole new level. The formula-seeking, principle-driven model has worked very well, except it hasn't brought life. Six steps to success. Nine principles of successful leadership right whatever all of those things are i'm not against principles but i am at against principles at the expense of life thank you Edna that's awesome hebrews 12:25 says see that you do not refuse him who speaks for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he's promising, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So in closing, I want to remind you of something. God's doing the shaking, not the devil. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The nations are shaking today. The world that we live in is shaking today. The economy is being shaken today. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken until only that which cannot be shaken will remain. It's not the devil doing the shaking. He's trying to keep up. God's doing the shaking. And if we, if we get into the perspective that the devil is, is uh, destroying the world that we live in, you've got the wrong perspective. God is shaking everything that can be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. And that includes your life and mine. That includes your family and mine. That includes... It's going to include every church, it's going to include every business, it's going to include everything, because God's wanting to get things back to the the core foundation, which is Jesus, because that's the rock that has been hewn out of a mountain that is going to fill the whole earth. The the devil's not big enough to do all this. He's only doing what God allows him to do, and he's raging right now. You know what God's doing? He's sitting in the heavens and laughing at the devil's feeble attempts, attempts to destroy the world that he built. Amen? So, yes, we need to pray. We need to, inter, we need to intercede. We need to do all of those things as faithful stewards of something that he's entrusted us with. But the devil's not in charge. God is. And he's not abdicated his role on the throne of the nations. Amen? We get to reign and co reign with Jesus, but we've got to allow him to be enthroned in our hearts in order for us to begin to exercise that kind of dominion and authority. Amen. This is the year, I believe, of the rule of God beginning to really be released through the church. Amen. Are you ready? Jesus, 2022. Are you ready for a revolution? Amen. Are you uh, able to live in faith, not fear? So, Father, in Jesus' name, we declare that fear will not rule us or even influence us in 2022. We declare that in 2022, Jesus, you are Lord, you alone are Lord, You are Lord all by yourself. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and to take your rightful place in the church of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we don't just want to feel goosebumps. We don't just want to see you heal somebody once in a while. We don't just want to see a manifestation of power or a sign or a wonder sometimes. We're asking you to come and let your life flow through us. And would you order this body in such a way that every piece and every part begins to become animated? Holy Spirit, we give you permission to order this body and to make it a unit. We want to be connected to Jesus the head in such a way that the command center of Jesus would be totally functional in this body and that you would order every part and that you would give every one of us a a passionate desire to function where you've called us to function and that you would animate us and bring us alive in Jesus' name and that you would cause such an incredible love to flow through this body from one to another that the world once again would look at the church and say, see how they love each other. I want to be a part of something where love flows that powerfully. Let the love of Jesus become the most compelling force drawing the world into a relationship with him. And let them see it in us and through us and demonstrate it through our everyday life. And then I ask that that love would manifest toward the lost. Or those who don't know you, to those who are isolated, to those who are bound, that once again the church would be invading prisons and setting pri- opening prison doors, setting captives free, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, cleansing the lepers, whatever other affliction and infirmity is going on, that the church would never again go to the shadows in the midst of a disaster. That we would never again occupy the sidelines instead of the front lines. But that this church would become a living army, animated with power, anointed by the Holy Spirit to demonstrate the life of Jesus in every sphere of culture. I ask that there would not be one person in this this place this year that would be serving on their job as a victim. but that every person would recognize that they've been strategically placed by the Holy Spirit in a place of influence to bring the force of the kingdom and, and the ministry and the reign of Jesus Christ into their realm of influence. That you would show us the platform that you've given us, every one of us. That never again would the, church, would the world be able to say to the church, well, yeah, you're, you do a good job on Sundays, but where are you at during the week? Let us occupy the places that you've called us to and assigned us to in every sphere of culture. And I ask, Father, that you would remove laziness from the hearts and lives of every one of your sons and daughters. That we would no longer be passive, we would no longer sit back and wait, but that we would begin to to connect and to reach out and to serve the way that Jesus served. And that this year would be a true move of of revolution in the body of Christ, beginning with us. Lord you, you you told us that you've set before us an open door and no man can close it. And so we're asking Lord that every door that you've opened for us we would not say we would not be willing to take no for an answer. Let this be a year that your body springs into action as a living army and begins to march. Thank you Jesus. We reject the notion that you have to have three years of, of uh, indoctrination, five years of teaching, before you can function as part of the body of Christ, we invite new believers to find their place in the body and begin to function right out of the chute. Amen. Amen. Help us, Father, to be such a nurturing place that every member of the body is empowered, is honored, and is able to begin to serve. Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can pull that off, and we invite you to take your place. Jesus, would you truly begin to animate this as your body in every way this year? We need your wisdom. Your understanding, we need your anointing. But we invite you to become all of that. Forgive us where we've tried to build with the mind of man and the arm of flesh what can only be built by your spirit.